listen, I don't think it's any secret that women tend to have higher expectations for other women candidates. And especially for women on the right, it tends to be even more stark that the expectation game is a little bit higher than women on the left. Women on the left over the years, especially on the life issue, have kind of coalesced around this idea of sisterhood, of like early support, of supporting. And I think women on the right tend to bulk at that a little bit and push back on that idea that we need an effective leader, not just someone who's a woman, right? That it's not just about supporting the woman. They still have to be actually effective as a leader once they get there. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interests in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate and, if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, and welcome to Political Contessa. This is Jennifer Nassor, and I am your Political Contessa. Today, I have with me again a good friend of mine, Larissa Martinez. Larissa heads up and is a founder of the Women's Public Leadership Network. So, Larissa, thank you for being here with me today. Thanks so much for having me, Jen. I'm so excited. I love having you on. It's been a little bit of a while, but I felt like We're in the swing of primary season, presidential politics and primary season. And who better to bring in on the question of, one, how to get women to vote? Why don't women vote in larger numbers? And where are the women coming out for Nikki Haley, who is the only woman running nationally? So let's go for it. Let's start talking about what's going on here. Love it. Let's dig in. All right. Trying to figure out, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm throwing myself into my own PhD program because my thesis question is basically, why don't women vote for other women? And I started thinking of this last week because I was talking to a group of women. A friend of mine had invited me to this new group that she started. And they were celebrating Susan B. Anthony and her birthday. And they were doing a Susan B. Anthony birthday celebration. And, you know, we're we're talking about suffragettes and how these women starved themselves and they went on hunger campaigns and they were beaten, brutally beaten, and they were put in jail just to get us the right to vote, which is remarkable. And I'm so thankful to these fabulously strong, fierce, independent women who did that. But I feel as though, and and this is not just theory, but from talking to friends, right, that women just do not take the right to vote as seriously as they should. And so I would love to dig into how we get women to see the seriousness of voting that we have this amazing privilege 
that women fought for to get us to this point where men, not just white men, but black men had the right to vote before women did. And we have this. How do we get them out to vote in this primary season? Well, let's also note that it wasn't that long ago. Right. Even. I mean, I think that's the other thing. We kind of take it for granted now, especially the new generations. But it hasn't been that long since we've had this. You know, one of the things that I see a lot with Women's Public Leadership Network, WPLN, for those that don't know that are listening, we help women run for office, appointment elected. And one of the things that we see with the challenge of getting women to put themselves forward, I think also applies to women as voters, which is that women, I think, one, we're very busy. So I think we sometimes see participation in the political process as just one more thing we have to do, one more thing we have to add to the agenda. But I also think women tend to think they don't know enough to engage. They don't they feel like they have to know everything in order to vote, to run, to to be someone who's involved in the political process in some way. Whereas, as we know, men don't seem to have that hang up. They feel like they can figure it out. They get a sense for someone or they feel really confident that they know enough about issues, that they're fine. They know who's their guy or their gal. And I think women, we tend to feel like we need to know all the issues, but we don't have time to get knowledgeable. And now it's just another thing to put on the agenda. And to your point, I think there is that tension with other women as well, having higher expectations of women candidates when it comes to women as voters, because we see ourselves. I think we see it as kind of our right to hold them to a different account. But I do think that that to your point, this election especially, it matters, right? We may be busy, but it does matter who is at the table, not just at the highest level president, but at every level. It matters. I was looking up a statistic earlier, and women's purchasing power is 70 to 80 percent of consumer spending in this country, right? So alone, we already have massive impact when we want to, right? When we want to get out there and do things. And if we saw engagement in the political process in the same lens as buying a purse, buying shoes, going grocery shopping for our family, we would have a massive influence in how our political process operates and what types of leaders get chosen, especially right now, because primaries are where we get to decide is the first kind of line of defense of who we get as our choices. And I think that's another area that women, I think, don't necessarily always like feeling as though they have to put themselves in a bucket, right? So many women, at least I know, were continuing to push up against this. Every issue is a woman's issue. Every, you know, women should not be just put into this category of we all kind of have the same views or the same opinions because we all are a certain sex. And I feel like that is the, the another tension, another layer that is added when it comes to not wanting to feel like we're either a Democrat or Republican. You and I both know that the vast majority of women and people in this country right now don't identify with either party. And so feeling like you have to pick one, especially in states with closed primaries, and then go and vote for someone. And again, all the challenges we talked about, I think it's just like yet another layer. (laughs) Why bother? Why have to do this? But the reality is at the moment, we're a two-party system. And if you want to have better choices, you have to start at the primaries, if not before, when it comes to supporting people, even getting into the races, getting into the mix. But you have to step up and get there and find the time to go vote. There's a lot of ways to vote nowadays. You can do early, in person. You can do absentee ballot in a lot of places. There's ways to do this. <laughs> There's ways to accommodate. And I think it's a matter of, again, digesting, bringing things down to ingestible pieces, but making the case that 
this is impactful to your life, your kids' lives, your family's lives. And it should not be taken for granted that other people around you, their opinion means more than yours and that you don't have that you don't feel educated enough to have a say. Yeah, no, I like that. And I think that's it's almost and now that you say that, you know, it makes sense to me when women are going to run for office, right? They need to be asked seven times, at least seven times to run because they're overthinking everything. And maybe that's the problem with the voting. Maybe that's the, I wasn't paying enough attention. I didn't see that speech. I didn't see the person in person. I don't really know anyone that knows the candidates and just overthinking it more than they should. And I know on the primary ballot here in Massachusetts, not only do we have, and I don't know if every state is like this, but, and it's so inside baseball, so people probably don't even realize, but we have our state committee members that are also on the presidential primary ballot. So they are elected on the same ballot. And there's nothing else. It's just the presidential and state committee. And, you know, it is inside baseball, but yet the state committee is so important to make sure that you have good quality people on there because they're the ones who are kind of influencing the policy decisions and the priorities of that party in your state, whether it be the Democrats or the Republicans. So get to me, what keeps happening here, and I haven't done enough to study every other state because I'm really just obsessed with Massachusetts because, I mean, I live here, but be on top of that, we are probably the most educated state in the nation. You know, we have some of the, whether you like them or not, <laughs> we have some of, you know, the biggest and best Ivy Leagues here. You know, we have all the intellectual capacity is here. And I just don't understand how our elections, our primaries end up yielding 22 to 26 percent of voters who come out to vote in primaries. Therefore, we are left with the worst of the worst choices in the general election, which is why the crappy Republican loses to the super crappy progressive because the crappy Republican is so outrageous and so not in touch with anything that Massachusetts has to say that, you know, you end up getting some super progressive lunatic. And and that just happens over and over again. What I'm trying to what I'm hoping will happen on Super Tuesday, we have 62 percent of our electorate is unenrolled that those unenrolled voters should feel some sort of ownership, especially in 2024, where the choices are, you know, two octogenarians that both are off their rockers in different ways. One is one is that going toward dementia and the other one is just cuckoo crazy. And so, you know, you have got those two and then you have Nikki Haley and who is a completely different candidate, right? And by any stretch of the imagination should be someone that a state like Massachusetts would vote for because her policies are very negotiable, right? They're not they're not going to appeal to someone who's super liberal. They're not going to appeal to someone who's super conservative, but, you know, more mainstream. And I'm so interested to see how many of those unenrolled voters come out after Super Tuesday, being that they finally have <laughs> someone that they that's more palatable to them. 
So I'm concerned and I'm concerned about women coming out because again, what you said, so the number one is the feeling like they're not educated enough on candidates. And I'm clearly losing my voice because all I do and have done in the last month is just talk. My kids are going to be so happy when I finally lose my voice. Excuse me. This is like the highlight. They look forward to when I can't talk or (laughs) yell. But the other part of it is not just them being educated enough and knowing enough to vote for someone, but also you said it a lot nicer than I have. I have said that I think it's a little jealousy of why is this woman out there running for office when I can't, I haven't, I don't know if I could, I don't feel confident enough. What gives her the right to do that over me or my daughter or my mother? And that also, I worry that comes into play that women think of because here again, here in Massachusetts, and we know this nationally too, right? So Nationally, it's what, 28, 29% of Congress is female. In Massachusetts, 33% of our legislature is female. Now think about that. We are a super blue state. We have a lot of women from Massachusetts that are elected to Congress. We have a lot of women. Almost every woman, almost every statewide office holder except for one is a woman. Yet our legislature is only 33% female. So like getting into the woman's brain. So if you are voting, but you do have a choice between a woman and we know statistically, if a woman is running, a woman wins at the same rate as a man. Why are our numbers so low? <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. I thought you were like, and ready, go. I'll just, <laughs> I have all the answers, Jen. No, I mean, listen, I don't think it's any secret that women tend to have higher expectations for other women candidates. And especially for women on the right, it tends to be even more stark that the expectation game is a little bit higher than women on the left. Women on the left over the years, especially on the life issue, have kind of coalesced around this idea of sisterhood, of like early support, of supporting. And I think women on the right tend to bulk at that a little bit and push back on that idea that we need an effective leader, not just someone who's a a woman, right? That it's not just about supporting the woman. They still have to have kind of this be actually effective as a leader once they get there. And I don't think any person wants to be reduced to just one identity anyway and not be effective or not be seen as someone that can lead. But I do think there is that added barrier for women on the right. But I do think it helps all of us to have someone like a Nikki Haley be at the top of a national ticket and be a nominee for a major party's presidential choice. I think for women, what I'm hoping is that they see that Nikki is not just like a random woman that showed up off the street, put her name forward, and we're all looking at her like, why did? Why are you running? And I'm not going to support you just because you're a woman, to your point. Nikki has, if she was a man, no one would be questioning her credibility. Her resume, her background, everything that she has done is she's an incredibly qualified and experienced candidate to put themselves forward for this position. If anything, I'd argue even more qualified than some others that have put themselves forward for for this position when it comes to what our expectations are for background and experience of elected officials. So it's not like she has no right being in a presidential primary. She has not just every right, she is kind of our ideal candidate in almost every other cycle. She would have been the star of any 
presidential race. I think this year and the past couple of years, as we've seen, our politics has gotten a little bit, everyone talks about divisive, but I think it's even more than that. It's the people that actually come to the table to vote, what their expectation of their politicians are and what they expect those leaders to present to them to show that they're a fighter, to show that they are going to, quote unquote, stand up for their rights. All of these characteristics that, in my mind, are manifesting into not really great behavior, but it seems to be that's what motivates the people on that are in their camps to actually go vote. It's incumbent upon all of those that are currently not voting, which is the vast majority of Americans, to show up and say, we're not happy with these two people that you guys have kind of chosen as our only choices. There is another choice. There is a viable choice. And I think, you know, it's for women specifically, they need to look at not just the fact it's put this way. It's a cherry on top that she's a female. That's I what think I beyond, say. <laughs> it's a cherry on top. It's an added benefit that you have someone that also has a different perspective, a different lens that we have not yet seen in the White House. And I think what a cool thing for Republicans to be able to say they elected the first woman just because the narrative around support for women tends to be owned on the left. It would be great for Republicans to say that we actually achieved this, but we achieved it with a woman who is experienced and qualified and has pragmatic approach to policy. I mean, those are the pieces that I, that to your point, I don't uh, I don't fully understand why there are not more people showing up when there seems to be such dissatisfaction with the Biden Trump choice. Then why wouldn't you show up, if anything, just to be contrarian, <laughs> if anything, just to say we're not happy with the party's kind of, you know, crowning these two as the the natural choices. But at the very least, you can, if anything, be somewhat confident that the other choice is also super capable and competent to hold the position of president. Again, it's not there really shouldn't be that much of a hesitancy unless you truly are like 100% in the camp of the other two, then I understand that support. You do you. But if you're in this space of not feeling engaged, you, this is now the time to get engaged because it does matter. Whoever holds that office, it matters. It matters. You may not think that it does always because you're just living your life in you know your town, your city, going to school, going to work, doing what you need to do. But it does matter what they do at the head. It from both kind of the head of state and the head of government viewpoints. It does matter who we have up there, you know, and for women too, especially it's, you know, your kids and the legacy, the policies that are being enacted now and how that's going to impact them going forward, everything from entitlement to border security to economy, all of these pieces. But then you also have women, I know not all women are mothers, but, you know, I saw Women right now own over 20 million businesses that employ over 10 million workers, right? Women have impact in this country. We're not just silent on the sidelines. There is no reason why our voice should not be present and be engaged in this space. And to your point, it's it does matter who the person is. It does matter what they're going to bring to the table. But especially for someone like Nikki Haley, being a female really is more of a, oh, great, and I get that perspective too. But at the very least, if you only saw her resume, they're really, I'm I'm with you and the, I struggle to not, to understand the hesitation 
or to feel like you don't know, because I think everyone knows the Biden-Trump choices we have. Whether you are down deep in their policies or not, you know who they are as leaders. You've seen them in the administration for four years, both. And so to me, it's, you know, looking at the that choice and then looking at the qualifications. And there's no reason why, if you wanted something different, that you shouldn't support another candidate that has that same experience and background, even if she happens to be a woman. Yeah. I mean, so you touched on a couple of things. Number one, 70% of the country does not want to see another Trump-Biden showdown. 70, right? <laughs> that, that's the vast, that is not oh, just getting by on, you know, a few people or half. That is 70%. And so that makes me feel like what you were saying, if you are sick of either, if you don't want either of the two of them, you 70%, then you have a choice. And then, you know, let things shake out how they're going to shake out. But the choice is a really good, solid choice. Number two, 60% of the country thinks both Trump and Biden are too old to serve as president. That is also another fact. And if you feel like they're too old, then again, you have another choice. It's a person who is 52 years old and has a long runway in front of her of what the future should look like and not just sitting and staring at the past because her past is short, but the future is very long. And my number, my third point here is I, when I describe Nikki, I describe her as the perfect She's the perfect political cake. She has the legislative experience because she was a state legislator. She has the executive experience because she was a governor for two terms. As governor, she was able to reduce taxes. She was able to implement a really good immigration law for South Carolina, and she increased jobs. Like, that's she's doing pretty well there, right? As far as being a governor, being an executive. Then she goes on as an ambassador. So she has the national security experience, the foreign policy experience. So she has the domestic and the foreign. To me, you throw that all together, it makes the perfect cake. The fact that she's a woman and that she's younger is the cherry on top. And I'll tell you, our, I don't believe that our founding fathers who died at 55 years old ever thought in a million years that we would ever have politicians serving in office and continuously getting elected at 80 years old. I also don't think that they ever thought that someone was going to be in office for 46 years. Right. I mean, it wasn't like, what did you start when you were 10? I mean, that's they put a minimum <laughs> age requirement for president. They never put a maximum because they didn't know that was going to happen. They died of some sort of disease before they even got there. And so I think that, you know, when you look at having an alternative, it's not just, oh, this is Ross Perot, a billionaire. No offense to Ross Perot. But this is a legitimate candidate who, if her name was Nicholas, I don't think anyone would even be talking about. But you have Trump who goes out, and I hate even mentioning his name because I don't want to give him any credibility, but, you know, he goes out and calls her bird brain. And for women not to stand up at the first time that he called her bird brain and to feel empowered 
to go and vote and to support her because she's being attacked. Then he goes out and on a night where he won an election, instead of giving a victory speech, the first thing he said is he attacked her. First things out of his mouth. Why is she giving a speech like she won? What's that dress that she was wearing? She thought it was a fancy dress. Now, you know, we, if we women said that about another woman, it would be, oh, we're being a little catty, but no, this is a man who's attacking a woman because she's a woman, because he thinks that she's weak, yet she's not. And to your point, you know, women have 60 to 70% of purchasing power. Women own 20 million businesses employing, you know, millions and millions of employees, which is only giving back to the economy. Women make most of their household decisions, right? They're deciding, you know, whether you're a single woman, deciding your rent, your mortgage, you know, where you're going to live, what job you're going to have from a, you know, married or mom who is making decisions on what camps your kids are going to, what schools they're going to, where you're going to live, what the best communities are, what sports they're playing, you know, the cars that you're driving. We're making all these decisions and yet when it comes to elections, we're just lagging behind. And I just hope that women wake up in time not to sit back in November and look and say, God, this isn't why I'm going. This is why I'm not voting, because the choices are terrible. And I don't want either of these old guys. And I hope that no one wakes up the day after election day and says, wow, we have a guy who says I would grab a woman by her. I'm just going to say crotch to be nice. But, you know, and another man who is losing his mind and has grabbed celebrities by their breasts. And I find both to be completely offensive and, you know, forget about their experience and forget about what they had done in the past. That's the past. The past is the past. And for any of us, I think any one of us, When you're thinking about relationships, you don't go back to the person in the past. You don't go, you don't date someone in the future who has the qualities of someone that you were with in the past. You want better. You want to look forward and into some positive realm. And so it's almost like we're going back to these two old geezers. Like I just can't even wrap my brain around it. And so I hope that women feel empowered. Hopefully enough, listen to this and guys listening, like you send this to the women in your life, whether it's your mom, your sister, your girlfriend, your wife, but, you know, feel empowered to go and vote and let your voice be heard and don't feel stifled and don't feel like the decision was made for you and do 30 seconds of Googling on the two clowns and Nikki to see the difference between, you know, what a real good candidate looks like and and what these two Look like, and it's unfortunate. And by the way, I'm just going to say MAGA is not a party. It is a cult. It is not a party. It's a Republican Party and a Democratic Party. <laughs> Sorry, I needed to get that in there. It's like a little bee in my bonnet. Yeah, I mean, I don't obviously I don't disagree with you in any way. I think the the women stuff is just it's t- it's tough to overcome. But I think at the very least, it's one thing if and it's expected for candidates, especially in contested elections, to go after their opponents. But usually it should stay a little bit above brow and go after policy differences, go after, you know, question, you know, different decisions that were made in their past. But the what we're being what we're seeing when it comes to the behavior of these the two supposed kind of front runners at the moment 
is they're in positions of power. They're they have been at the highest level of our government. And there should be a little bit of an outrage slash an expectation setting that women deserve better and to be treated better as equals when it comes to again, being in these positions and seeking them at the same level. Because most men, they may go after and they may get, quote unquote, dirty, but it's usually not about their outfits. It's usually not questioning or degrading in some way or making it seem, to your point, as though they're weak individuals. Usually it's, you know, you did something you shouldn't have in the past or, you know, you have some sort of a decision. And again, if you want to go after those things, that that is fair game in our political system. It's not always fun and fair, but that's fine. But what we're seeing, to your point, from both of these gentlemen is that there is kind of a, we're going to call it a minimum standard that they should be upholding as high-level men and leaders in this country with how they treat women. And I'm not seeing it from either one of them. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean normally that I would say, then go ahead and vote for the other person just because of that. But when you have someone who is qualified, who is experienced, who you know, does have all the checkboxes of a typical candidate for president, and then on top of it happens to have these diverse lenses and is not degrading other people, then it feels like there is a full package somewhere, even if you don't agree 100% in policy, because you can't tell me that either of these groups of voters that are diehards for either one of them agree 100% with Trump or Biden's policies. There's just no way. Because, and I hate to say it, but at the very least, because they don't, neither one of them sticks by 100% principled policy when they make their decision. Mm -hmm. So you can't tell me that there is that type of consideration when you're looking at supporting these guys. So this idea that you have to somehow 100% agree with Nikki Haley or 100% love her in all ways to vote for her, when that doesn't seem to be the same expectation for the for Biden or Trump, it does feel like there is a higher expectation for her and a threshold. And if anything, to your point, if you're not motivated just on the fact that you're not happy with your two choices to get out and vote, then or to at least have your voice be heard. At the very least, you should be somewhat appalled by these two older gentlemen and the way they treat women and feel like that alone should get you out the door because why in the world would you want that to be what your children look at or any children in America look at as the right way to handle women going forward? We're training, we're putting up our examples of what we think a leader should be in this country. And that person will be there for four years and has access to social media, has access to all these things. I don't know why in the world we'd want our kids learning from that, from either one, as the proper way to treat women and to feel as though women are just as capable and equal to hold these positions. And so at the very least, that should be a consideration. Because that... I love that. It's true. I mean, how about role models? How about how, I don't remember Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush ever making fun of their opponents. Little hands, little feet. Your wife's ugly. Your wife has cancer, doesn't have cancer, whatever. You know, him attacking Nikki Haley for her husband not being around and the insinuation of why her husband isn't around when he's in active military service. How about when Mozzie Flip with the losing the congressional race in New York and he called her a foolish woman? Right. I mean, that's offensive. I find it, you know, just from a policy perspective, the swamp that's around him are all hangers on that want some role. And he was going to drain the swamp. He didn't drain the swamp. 
he added $8 trillion onto our backs, our kids' backs, our great-grandkids' backs. That's $8 trillion. So he didn't do what he was going to say. So I don't know. So going back to what you were saying about them not being true to their policy perspectives and what they claim, Biden said he was going to be a unifier. Nothing happened under Biden. As a matter of fact, he was just as rude as Trump was. He didn't make fun of people in the same way, but he basically did the same thing at lying to people the entire way about who he actually was when he isn't who he is. And yes, she doesn't need, you know, going back to Reagan. It's we don't need to agree 100 percent. We don't even need to agree 80 percent. We just I don't agree. Listen, we're friends. We probably see eye to eye on 75 percent. I don't agree with my mom 50 percent of the time. Sorry, mom. My kids don't agree with me 50 percent of the time. I know that kids. And, you know, that's something that I think we need to go into elections understanding. We don't need to agree 100% of the time, but you do need to look at the person's background. You do need to look at who they surround themselves with. Are they good people? Are they class acts? Are they intellectual? Are they people who are upstanding citizens that are going to hold the candidate's feet to the fire? And not just on the presidential level, but on every level. Are the people that they surround themselves with good people who are going to give them a little bit of a moral and value check as well? But I'm going to continuously, this is going to continuously be my thesis question. <laughs> I think it's a valid one. I think everyone, every, there are a lot of people that are looking to address it. I'll put it that way. And there's a lot of people that look to understand it. And I think at the end of the day, we have to look at ourselves. And as you you and I are both women, and I think that we have to kind of check ourselves when we see, when we meet a new female friend or whatever it is. Do we immediately judge? Do we immediately support? Do we build up people behind us? Do we mentor? I mean, all of those pieces, is it immediate jealousy? Is it immediate comparison, imposter syndrome? I mean, all of those things that that we are trying to address and trying to engage. But I think all of it plays into the civic participation or lack thereof I think it plays into whether or not you put yourself forward to run for office or seek an appointment. And I think it plays into the expectations that we hold our public officials to. There seems to be this weird thing happening right now where we forget that they're supposed to be public servants. Politicians, <laughs> they're not celebrities. And they get I mean, paid and, by and us. I'm just talking about president at every level. If you're an elected official, you're supposed to be a public servant. And there is a level of responsibility that comes with that and integrity that's supposed to be part of this. <laughs> Your character matters, how you approach it. And I say that because I think right now, especially, you know, when you look at the pendulum, being a politician, you kind of have to be a little bit of that. I mean, there is that playing politics is just part of the game. It's part of how this all works. That's part of the mechanism of democracy is to be held to account. So you have to do a little bit of that game playing. But I think right now the pendulum is like way far on the politician side and not so much on the public servant side, where at some point public servants may not be as flashy. They may not be as loud. They may not be throwing out names and you know crazy ideas and plans and stuff that sounds like super energizing because those are the people that are meant to actually be at the table solving problems. They're not meant to be actually just out there throwing things around. There is a role for activism in our politics, but it usually is not great if it's embodied in a person that's also at the decision-making table. Activism is meant to be in another, in, in the outside space. And right now, for some reason, we feel like activists are going to be better 
are going to be the policymakers we want. And then we get upset when they don't actually do anything. And there's a reason for that. So another part of this is just, again, checking ourselves and our expectations of our public officials and noting that there's a reason why we're not 100% happy right now in this country with anything. And it's not just because that person or that person is evil or terrible or whatever it is. It's also because our public officials are a reflection of us and the people that show up to vote. So if we're not happy with who we have to choose from, then either step up yourself or at the very least vote because this is our democracy. This is what we have. This is what we're working with. So at least for me, to your point, I mean, I think we should figure out a little bit of how we get women at least to the point where their voice matters and they need to get out there. But there's a lot more that needs to be worked on as well. But we'll take it one day at a time, Jen. I love that. I think it's a great way to leave it. If you're not going to step up yourself to run, then you owe it to yourself, to your families, to your friends to cast your vote and let your voice be heard. I think that's a phenomenal conclusion to this. And hopefully people listen. Hopefully you guys all pay attention coming up to Super Tuesday and to primaries in states around the country. This is not over yet. And, you know, you need to be heard because you're a voter and it is your right. Again, there goes my voice. Time for the podcast to end (laughs) when the show host has no voice left. But Larissa, thank you so much for being with me today on Political Contessa and talking about this very important subject about women getting out to vote. Thank you for having me. Thanks for all you do, Jen. Uh, Thank you. And thank you. Thank you for listening to me, Jennifer Nassor and Political Contessa. I hope you stay happy, healthy, and safe. And please do not forget, let your voice be heard and vote on your primary day. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. 